Yo, what's good, people? Welcome to another episode of Over the Bridge Podcast. Uh, Quirky speaking. It's a lovely Sunday afternoon, morning even. Afternoon, look at me, living ahead of my time. Um, <laughs> we've got all the mandem today, which is a, a rare one, but it's always nice when we link up. Um, Bilal, Patrick, Tom, all in the building. They have obviously joined by a special guest who we introduced shortly. Um, but yeah, guys, how's it going, man? Chat to me. Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's Bilal here. Um, yeah, feeling happy. Um, unlike, I'm sure, the rest of you, this is the eighth hour of my day, which is fun. But I've managed to send bare emails already. So I've actually been... This is the first Sunday I've felt super productive in a long time. Normally, I'm just awake. Be like, why am I awake for so long on Sunday morning? <laughs> but this time, I've actually done a lot of work. So I'm like, it's all out the way and now I can chill for the rest of the bank holiday, man. Do you know what? You can probably tell as well, like, because... Um... Everyone that's listening, we're on camera, so I can see Bilal's face, and he's just like, the sun is just beaming out of your face. <laughs> he's that's just like the sun. That's my desk lamp, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, I'm man. always jealous of people that have productive mornings, man. I'm like, how? Because yeah. once in a while, I, my, I actually am a morning person, yeah, when I can actually wake up. But when I do, like, that's when I get my best work done. So when people are like, oh, yeah, I woke up at five, and I did, 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 I'm like, oh, man, I wish I was here. I feel like I was a morning person up until I had real responsibilities. So like school, uni, <laughs> morning person, yeah, I just wake up early, bang out my work, revision, whatever. Now, nah, man, I'm just, pff, bro, forget about it. But um, You've been skating. I've seen you on, yeah, on Instagram, you know, you're active. You've got a whole community now. Yeah, well, it's not it's not my community, but yeah, um, I've been skating a bit. Um, so um, I bought some skates about six weeks ago um, and I went to one of them big link-ups yesterday um they have it mm. over in like um in Greenwich and um I actually hadn't skated for a couple of weeks um before yesterday so I was a bit nervous in it because I'm not that good I can skate all right I can you know do my thing and everything but I'm not like the like there's some like proper like pros there man like people skating backwards doing spins and flips on whatever but I just went for the vibes it was nice man it was really nice so yeah. Yeah, yesterday was it was good yeah, you had the nice weather to, to bless you yeah, as well. Man. So. Yeah, makes such a difference. What about Tom? Well, that's it. Tom, what are you saying? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I can't complain, man. It's all good. Um, yeah, man. Life just ticking on, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, yeah, Do you know man. what? I was, gonna, I was so close to buying an Afro Nation ticket because somebody I know was selling because obviously I know that you, you wanted to go. And they, yes, yeah. it's yesterday they announced that they, they're pushing it back another year, right? Correct. Fam, I was so oh, correct. relieved. So, twenty nineteen <laughs> vintage is all we have. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I feel like you guys will be going there when you're about fifty years old. <laughs> yeah. <man>. <laughs> <laughs> as if you're not gonna come as if you're not gonna come as well. Yeah, my son, my son will probably be about yeah. eighteen, nineteen. That's the then, thing. So that I, I, I reckon that's when the, <laughs> that's when the next one will actually roll around by the time you're yeah. By the time Because you know what it was? It was like yeah, we're supposed to go this year. Supposed to go last year as well, but that didn't happen. Mm. Supposed to go this year. I got the tickets. And I didn't do anything else. So I didn't do accommodation or oh, flights mm. or yeah, a car because last time I went got a car. But And I just thought, you know, what? I'm just going to wait anyway. And I thought, you know, what? even if it's expensive just because of the year we've had, I don't yeah, care. I'm just going to book it with a few days to spare and go. Mm. But obviously it's not happened now. So Bro, see, you, next year, you and Bill are enjoying 2019, man. I'm so annoyed. I don't, I don't even remember why I didn't go. <laughs> I actually can't remember why. It's just Brooklyn. one of them L's that. I this was is the thing, yeah. Me. I don't understand. Like this, for for our listeners, mm. yeah. 
Patrick is a fluent Portuguese Yeah, that's speaker, other things. Fluent, right? <laughs> so the understanding is that how can he not come to Portimao and just not chop it up with um, locals and um, people from London? I didn't understand um, why you didn't want to come. And when, and when you two went to Brazil as well, to be fair, that time I actually... actually yeah, I'm not sure. We've to <laughs> but the, the two, the two times that I could have been like, let me be your guide. Let me take your... Can you imagine? <laughs> we went to Brazil. Oh, we went God. to Brazil now. And I mean, I was only there for five days. Do you know what I mean? But I was like, I have to go. But I can't believe you didn't come. Yeah, there's, what there's happened? There's two of my biggest regrets, I think. Like, tra- 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 travelling-wise, to... there's, there's two of my biggest regrets. But That's the Brazil one, I genuinely, L, I remember I genuinely couldn't come. I was just, I was so upset that I was just like, nah, it's just, I had a chat with my accountant in it and he was like, fam, nah, it's not. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> Man has an accountant. Key money for real. That's just a euphemism. I looked at my bank account and I was just like, nah, nah. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, let's let's get into it because um yeah, don't want to keep our guests waiting in it. Uh, and how's, yeah, how's, 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 our, how's our speaker doing, by the way, Quaker? How are you? you thank need to, you. you guys, what's going on? Why do you I, not do you know, someone love you? Don't, that's it. We time. don't care about the host. The host picks that position <laughs> knowing that they're not going to get asked. We know that by now. It's actually a good point, but still, come and curse you, man. Come sorry. on, man. That's why we love you, Tom. Like Brother every Daps. time. Do you get me? Um, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I've been had. I've, it's been very like. Um, it's been a funny few weeks actually because we haven't actually spoken in a little while now. Um, mm. But my parents gone back to Ghana yesterday, oh, okay. um, and that's had been a proper like introspective, reflective mood because they'll kind of you know they try to give you the long spiel like the long speech like listen, boom boom boom, you know we're gone again. Make sure that you maintain the family and keep make sure you keep in contact with your siblings and your cousins and the da da and mm. all this kind of stuff. And it just kind of got me a mood. I'm thinking, raw like. They're really out here in this country that they brought us to. They've gone back now, done their, they did their shift. And it's like, we're here really trying to create our own mark, mm. our own footprint, our own blueprint and how we want to live our lives here. Mm. Um, and it's just kind of been a super, super kind of like thinking about what I want in life and like just, mm. yeah, one of those moods. But um, it's good. It's in a in positive way. Like, it's just nice knowing that you've got people that have your back and what have you in it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, but I'm good. I'm sweet. I'm sweet. Nothing, nothing fun or interesting besides that. No, it's a good. It's a good um, thing we ask you how you're doing actually, because that's that's a really interesting, interesting thing to talk about. Maybe not on this yeah. episode, but yeah, it, so. it might. You know, it might actually, it might actually tie in a little bit because obviously we, and maybe this is a nice little segue. We obviously have a, a special guest. We're such uh, teasers, that's man. Us today. The listeners, are I so know. We... <laughs> we get to the point. <laughs> get to the point, man. <laughs> Um, but we're joined today by Mags um, Abraha. Um, she's a author, um, works within the publishing industry as well. Um, and yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about um, a project that she's working on and a, a book series that she's going to be releasing over the course of the year. Um, but I'll be interested just to learn a little bit more about her and her journey and her perspective on um, a lot of topics that we tend to speak about on the podcast generally anyway around kind of black british experience culture identity etc um so without further ado i'd like to welcome on mags um hey mags how you doing hey hey i'm good i'm good thank you for joining us today um i i can't do proper justice to your introduction so i think is it is worthwhile <laughs> if you can like maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself uh where you come from what you do for just for our listeners to to know Sure, sure. That's so awkward to ask someone else to do my best. <laughs> um, 
I am a writer, publisher, editor, curator, and everything in between, basically. Um, and I sort of do multiple things, I guess. Um, most of the things, creatively at least, that I do tends to be sort of in the realm of archiving things of black culture, whether that be within the diaspora or externally. Um, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. I probably didn't do a good job myself, <laughs> but in a nutshell, if I had to be brief. It captures a lot. And I think it's very like telling of our generation where everyone has like bare hats on, I feel like like literally, has like literally. multiple jobs within like a similar sphere but like how that actually describes succinctly what I do like it's impossible for me to say in one sentence what I do but like yeah it's basically yeah. a lot but no sick we're really really gassed to have you here um and can you tell us a little bit about um your project a quick thing on that's going to be coming up yes yes so a quick thing on is a book series on, or a non-fiction book series on all things black British culture and history. Um, each book in the series is about a singular topic, um, which is really exciting. Um, and so far we have eight commissioned and I'm commissioning a bunch of others. And the idea is that the series will basically go on forever. So, cause there's just never enough topics to cover within that series. Um, Initially, sort of the first few topics I came up with, and I think going forward, I'm going to give other people the opportunity to decide what individual topics they'd like to explore. Um, and I guess the catalyst of it was because of the whiteness of the publishing industry and the lack of creativity when it comes, and integrity actually, when it comes to archiving mm -hmm. black stories. Um, and so I wanted to carve out this space where it's a safe space for black writers to write about topics that are important to them, but also it demystifies what authorship looks like. So it's not about you having a very in-depth writing background. The idea is that anyone and everyone has a story and anyone and anyone can be developed. Um, the publishing industry has done a very good job of making writing a book become an exclusive mm. right to people, which makes no sense to me. Um, I just think that if an industry is meant to be like, the gatekeeper to storytelling that cannot be an exclusive thing like everyone should have the mm -hmm. right and ability to tell a story um and that was sort of the catalyst behind the series um and also my whatsapp groups um <laughs> because i have very good <laughs> very good <laughs> conversations in my whatsapp groups and i was like this should be brought out into the um so yeah so somewhere in between that was uh, the genesis mm. of the quitting one basically yeah and i was gonna say i feel like we can relate to the whatsapp group um yeah. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, real. For yeah. real. They're, they're, they're dimes. <laughs> Absolute dimes. That's amazing. And I think when, I mean, one thing that when I heard about the, the concept, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Because, like you said, I feel a lot of times it's kind of um, other people maybe trying to document what our, our culture is. And um, it's yeah. is, is, is is rare that you actually have. Um, conversations around i think black culture within the british context because usually when you think about black culture at least from my experiences is very much synonymous with black american african-american culture and yeah, yeah, i definitely. feel like over the last few years um with you know social media and more kind of dialogue being had um there's a, a clearer or somewhat crafting somewhat of a, a a unique identity as black British people mm. Mm. Um, and yeah, yeah. I think having that documented within like books and written for us by us kind of thing yeah. is like um, is really sick but I thought actually just to kick off before we kind of go deep into the, the, the 
maybe the topics that are covered in the book and like your experience within the industry and that kind of thing. Um, it's something that we might have touched on before, but I wanted to open it up to like everyone here as well. Like as far as like black British identity, right? Um, we did an episode before about black British versus black English and like um, how we kind of consider ourselves, how do we identify as ourselves? Mm. Um, I wanted to put out there that black Britishness, yeah, if you ask like on the census or whatever like are you like what would you consider yourself mm-hmm. yeah we're all from like different um different backgrounds heritage like we i think we touch like most places on the planet probably between us like where um do you consider yourself black british is that like a title or, or an identity that you embrace and let's start with max okay so i think strangely as i've got older I, it has become increasingly mm. so my natural sort of point was always like I was just identified as like African, Ethiopian, mm-hmm. East African. And then I think as I got older, perhaps when I think black Britishness became much more inclusive than mm-hmm. when I was younger, um, I think a lot more people started seeing themselves mm-hmm. in that sort of category. Whereas when I was younger, that wasn't always the case. Um, and I think it also depends yeah, on what setting, sure. if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. It kind of depends where I am, what setting, what situation. Um, yeah, and I guess that's that's the part of like fluidity with identity. It can be a mm. bit of a dance in that sense. Yeah, no, I definitely, yeah. definitely relate to that. Um, just trying to think. Um, normally, when I when people ask me where I'm from, when I'm outside the UK, I won't even say I'm from England or the UK. I'll say I'm from London. Like, I feel like I'm a I'm a black Londoner first. Um, do, wait, do you do that thing that where you say, where am I from or where am I from from? Um, you just go straight When people it? ask me when I'm abroad, I know that they're asking me where was I sort of born and raised rather than what's my background because I'm speaking English at that state or they know that I'm I'm not from that country. So they'll just be like, oh, mm. you know, where are you from? Um, but here, um, when people ask me where I'm from, I'll normally say, well, yeah, my, my family are from... Da, 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 da. So my my dad's from Jamaica, my mom's from Barbados, um, but it's a it's a weird one. Like I, I I definitely agree with what you're saying about how like black Britishness wasn't a thing when we were younger, but like now that we're a bit older, I think our generation is probably the first time where we're sort of homogenizing across the different ethnic groups within the black diaspora. So like it's not un- uncommon now, and I I suppose it wasn't that uncommon before for like different uh like couples from different places in within the, the the african diaspora to to be together but i think it's more and more common now where you'll have like a, mm. a west indian guy going out with a nigerian girl or do you know what i mean um and yeah. then their kids like it, it, it gets a bit too like oh, okay so yeah um my mom's from nigeria my dad's from the caribbean and then his parents are from do you know what i mean so it's just like that that process of homogenization is creating this kind of i guess this this black identity uh, black british identity and especially now because i feel like our culture especially like over the last five to eight years has really started to export across the world in in a similar Mm -hmm. way to how african-american culture has been doing for the last you know however many 50 60 70 years you know um so i feel like we're sort of realizing this kind of black british identity at the same time that it's being exported across the world so that's that's kind of helping to bolster that 
but it's a weird one because I, fam, the, every day that passes, I, I identify less with this country. Like I really do. So like being like black British is, it's yeah, it's a bit of a paradox to me. I, I like I said, I mostly mm. sound from London when people ask me where I'm from. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. Um, Bilal, do you got any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've been thinking since you said it, it's like this is a question that I haven't really sat sat down and processed until right now. Um, I don't ethnically identify as black British because I'm not blackness being just one part of my identity, my ethnic heritage. But culture wise, I identify with black British culture. And I think this is the thing, particularly like when I was looking at the titles of this series, and I was like, so many of these things are related mm. to music or food or just like things that are now growing yeah. as a black British culture. And the way I've always seen yeah. it is like when my mum, my grandparents, when they first came here from the Caribbean, you were black. You weren't black British. Like you came here as a black mm. person and you mm. lived in Britain, but you weren't black British. Whereas as you were saying, Patrick, like generationally, there's now this evolving, emerging group of people who are like from somewhere else originally, generationally, but exist in Britain and have built a culture around that, a culture of music, food, art, entertainment, all of the things that I heavily identify with. Whereas when I was growing up and I was in primary school, I think the culture I identified with was an exported version of blackness, which was mostly American-centered hip-hop and stuff influenced from the Caribbean and slightly influenced from West Africa, but it wasn't to the level that things are now. Like now, mm. you know, we've, part of the series is looking at Afrobeats, right? Which is like a heavily, something which is part of Black British culture yeah. now, I would say. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, so if we're looking exactly. at Black Britishness as a culture and a growing and emerging culture, yes, for me. But if I'm looking at that as a mark of my ethnic heritage, then no. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably say I lined... I agree with both of you actually. I feel like in, in, in some form like the black Britishness as an identity um is something that I've probably more recently began to embrace. Um and it's funny because I think and, and you guys will probably agree to some extent, like us growing up, our generation, um, when someone asks where you're from or whatever, within the context of like being in the country, um, is usually like where your parents are from, or whatever. So it's like, okay, I'm Ghanaian or my parents are from Ghana or whatever. And I think when I was younger, I was, I was a lot quicker to say I'm Ghanaian. And then as I got older, and I think I had more genuine engagement with, for instance, going back home um, when I was 15 for the first time, other than when I was a baby. And like maybe a bit later on, um, you know, have interactions with older people um, from, my, from my background, like starting to see the differences and like, okay, cool, I, I'm Ghanaian, but to an extent, like mm. I'm definitely just, some very clear British things about me that I can't really uh, reject. Um, the certain barriers that I have that can't allow me to fully embrace yeah. um, Ghanaian identity. Because that's um, language being one, but like other stuff as well, not mm. to, to an extent in it. Mm. Um, and it's only recently um, where I say recently, maybe over the last kind of five years or so, when I, I was, we have this topic and it, it, it kind of got a bit jarring to me at one point where people were always talking about, oh, I'm not fully this, but I'm not fully that. And people write, write spoken word poetry about it and stuff and that. Not to like take away from it because it's a genuine like, you know, identity <laughs> issue ever. But I'm like, listen, yeah, I had that moment. I'm like, I'm not evil raw, but I have my own thing. And it's, it's very rich. My experience is very rich mm -hmm. from like being in a 
Ghanaian British households, yeah. Mm. And there's certain experiences I have that make me probably more similar to a, uh, for instance, like my wife, Somali, right? Um, born and raised here. There's similarities that we have in our upbringing that is probably brings us closer to each other than I would to uh, my cousins in Ghana or her mm-hmm. cousins in Somaliland or whatever. Yeah. That, that, that makes us more aligned. And similarly, like, I think the whole London aspect plays a big thing because we are in this kind of melting pot um, city where... I can go to my Jamaican friend and have Jamaican food or whatever, or go to my Pakistani friend and have like, do you know what I mean? Like there's so many different um, things that we've been, like cultures we've been exposed to, I think growing up in mm. London as well, mm. which is rich in and of itself and something worth embracing, not saying I have to be this thing or yeah, this yeah. other thing. Like within the middle, there's like something that you can really, that's tangible that you can hold on to. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Nah, bro, I was going to say that, Having travelled a little bit, obviously been outside of the UK, like the the question of being black British, it it's never resonated with me more, to be honest, um, because people will hear the way I speak and say, okay, he's British, but he's black, so if they understand the context, they'll they will want to know where my parents are from, but they'll understand that I have a culture of my own, and it was most true when I went to the US a couple of times on business or sometimes just for a little bit of, of leisure. And you meet black people there, African-Americans, and there's a clear chasm between you and them. You have your culture, they have their culture, and it's distinctly different. And, you know, it doesn't come up, doesn't cause any conflict or anything, but you can see there's a clear difference. Mm. Um, And actually, the the point about black Britishness makes me laugh because I remember seeing, what was was the show? Barbershop Chronicles years ago, Mm. right? And one of the things that made me laugh the most, there was a line and I've never forgotten it was about African people don't go to the pub. <laughs> and that, for, you don't know, I, I, you know how many times I go to the pub in a week. Obviously COVID has been, it's upset, it's upset the program a little bit, but that is, you know, something I've chosen to adopt. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, and the funny thing is though, like talking to like, say like my African friends or friends with African parents, nah, they don't want to go pub, but Caribbean people, they, they, yeah, I'll come pub. It's kind of weird, but it's just, it's one of those things. But <laughs> I see people getting getting on and they're like, yeah, cool, let's go. Do you know what I mean? And it's a small point. It's a small moot point, but it's something that I've noticed as I get older. So definitely as I get older, kind of, yeah, like nah, the, I, I, I see myself as black British. Yeah. The pub being a kind of like uh, a focal point of like, like culture, especially in the UK and like what side of the fence you fall in is so interesting to me because British people, man, t- their relationship with the pub, I don't know, like, it's bondage, it, it's, it's, bond, it's bondage <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm not going to lie, it's bond because from when, like, in the pandemic, the first thing that everybody wanted to know is when are the pubs going to be back over? I'm thinking, bro, these people, man. Like, I, I don't mind going to the pub, but... You know the the thing that you were saying to him about like certain friends was like no nah, I'm just not on it and and to be honest for a long time I was like that because the area that I grew up in so I, um I used to live in Stratford and then I moved a bit further out to Chinkford yeah fam going to the pub around here is not <clears throat> it's it's not as dicey as it going around there like I remember I I remember where was I Woolwich or something yeah. like that and I went to I went to um, a pub and I realised it was a Charlton pub Fam, no but pub, that's what right? I'm saying that's what the pubs were like right? it is mad yeah 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 for real for real and it's mad you go in there and then like they just look at you like yeah cool I'm in the wrong pub Listen, you go to the, it's the all, all you need <laughs> is that look right. and you just go right yeah I'm not yeah bruv and even I remember going to the Bolin which is like the West Ham pub when Upton Park was around mm. right and then like 
it was weird. It was sometimes I get, I don't, actually most of the time I wouldn't get looks, but you get like a small glance and whatever, rare, 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 rare. It, was, it was weird. So yeah. I, it I depends also that, who you go with as well. Yeah. So if you go with a group of like black people, your black mates, you know, your black mates, then you're getting looks. If you go with like, you know, couple geezers, couple white guys, then it's like, oh yeah, they're all right kind of thing. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's a complicated it's relationship. It's so I guess with certain, with, with certain, I guess at one point they were like staple community centers in a sense, like this is where the community get together. So mm. it's probably a thing. There's an element of it where people just, everyone here that goes to this pub knows each other. They've known each other mm. for years. They've been coming here since like for the last 20, 30 years, whatever. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like the whole outsider thing but yeah, probably plays into it as well. Just one more thing before we move on, because I don't want to stick on pubs um, all episode, but um, I was reading <laughs> this thing about how, um, so like in the sort of early days when like the first like, West Indian immigrants came here. Um, like, obviously, you know, pubs weren't a place for black people. Um, and I think from then, like my, my grandma generation, like, cause my uncles and that, they like to drink, but going to the pub was a bit weird for them. And I never really understood why, like, if I told my grandma I was going to the pub, I don't know, for her, she thought it was like some kind of like 18th century England imagery of debauchery. I don't know what she thought the pub was, but, I think with that generation especially, it's like there's this weird relationship with it. And um, the thing that I read was saying that that's why the barbershop became like our de facto pub because we weren't allowed those spaces. Mm. So that's why for us, like the barbershop is that that space, especially for, for black men. Like that was a place that we could congregate, mm. congregate without it looking suspicious as well because, you know, you just go to the barbers to get your hair cut. Um, so we were afforded very, very few places to, to have that kind of recreational space that, you know, white Brits would have with a pub. But I thought that was like really interesting. interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving away from pubs a little bit um, <laughs> to, to maybe some more wholesome activities. Just talking to wholesome activities. <laughs> <laughs> but um, within the, the book series, you said, so a quick thing on, there's like loads of different topics covered. There's Afrobeats, there's grime, there's plantain or planting, depending on which side of the fence you're on. There's, We're a, not there's, doing a, there's that a chapter now. on that in the book. <laughs> the pronunciation. We're not doing that so. <laughs> that's, that's even more contentious than pubs. But yeah, I guess a question I have is like, um, what kind of made you think about these particular topics to, to cover as far as like being or, or capturing elements of black culture? Like what, what made you land on these yeah i guess to some extent it was uh just being aware of like certain repetitive like conversations that would happen amongst me and my friendship groups and the kind of subjects that they would trail between and it often is sort of food art politics culture um and so it kind of just that's that's sort of the genesis of it um and i just reached out to people who i knew were extremely passionate in those subject areas to do the books um so yeah that was that was the root mm. of it really um just paying attention and i think generally more time that should be how at least books are non-fiction books are curated by paying attention to conversations mm. that certain communities are having and then allowing them the space mm. to write mm. about it um because that's what matters to them so and my, yeah. did you have like go on, so sorry, go on Patrick. i was gonna ask like with, with within the 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 eight or so that you've commissioned so far, like were there particular mm. ones that I knew from the jump, like, okay, this has to be like, we can't 
this can't go amiss that like this this captures black british culture so strongly that it needs to be included were there any ones that kind of jumped out at you definitely afrobeats uh, just just because of the, the way mm. in which it's exploded mm. like, over the past few years and how in my opinion at least and certainly the authors as well it has uh shaken up or redefined what black britishness is um so i thought that one was really important um, Black British theatre as well, um, simply because that's a thing that people often wouldn't necessarily correlate with blackness. But as the book explores, and as Toby believes really strongly, is that black people have been doing theatre from mm. one day, like in school playgrounds, on the back of buses, like it's we've been sort of performing amongst each mm. other anyway. Um, and so demystifying what these very typically British quote unquote terms would be that would exclude us to showing how actually we've, we've been doing that. Um, so I would say those two, um, but all of them, obviously, because they're all in the series. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely those two. Cool. I was, I was just going to... You gonna... know, I've got a question on uh, Patrick. No, no, you guys, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to get in a queue now. You guys, you guys. It's all right, man. Um, I was going to ask, um, was there anything that you kind of like learned about yourself or about black British culture along along the way? that you thought, wow, how did I not know that? Or like, I've never really considered that before. I guess the the main, well, I, I think I knew it, but I definitely learned it to a deeper extent. It's just how much of it is rooted elsewhere, like mm. out of Britain. And I think that that's once again, sort of the interesting point of when we were talking about what black British just means and mm. identity, just like how much, even though something can happen within a certain geographical location, mm how much of the foundations and roots are so far mm. from that. Um, and it's just, yes, at times it just would like blow me away because it's just like, this is so far away. It's such a completely different mm. time and era. Um, but it's now so prevalent in this very far, far mm. away land, essentially. What, um, one thing that... So yeah, I, th- I think that that was it. You know, so I was just going to say like one thing that... um because that definitely resonates with me as well. Like one thing I find really interesting is that um a lot of the shared experiences that we have as, as, as Black Brits... um even though we share them here in the UK, um, they're actually things that we have in common before we even got here. Um, and I wonder if that has a lot to do with like the way that like, you know, colonization and empire worked, whereby we had like these very similar experiences back home. Um, and we sort of, yeah, we've just brought those experiences with us to, to, to the UK. And now we kind of, yeah, like you said, we kind of assume that it's, a, a British thing but actually it's the it's more of a back home black thing you know um, but yeah that's yeah that's really cool like one thing that I think for me is like a, a strong unifying thing when it comes to like black British culture um, is the music aspect I think and, and like obviously Afrobeats is one where yeah. In, yeah. to some extent it is like imported to an extent obviously a, a lot of the big Afrobeat artists were from um you know nigeria and ghana and the likes and then we started embracing it more here and then we had obviously our own homegrown talents as well that started making um afrobeats music and afro swing and all these different kind of like cross genres where it's like yeah. mixing dancehall and like all, loads of different genres kind of like merged into this this thing but one that i think is like distinctive where it's like there's obviously loads of different influence and factors but it's very very like undeniably british is grime yeah um and that's that's one that's obviously uh, that's super close to my heart anyway but like um yeah what what, what's your kind of like 
what's your relationship with grime uh and and like yeah um it's necessity to be I included i have within. a choice yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i had a choice that, that that was just i feel like that was pushed onto every young black person <laughs> in london um yeah i just didn't have a choice i'm originally from north london so I'm from the era that still believes that Chimak is. Okay. Are you from, I was gonna. I, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask where you're from. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not from Tottenham. I was, I was born in Holloway, and then I moved different places in North. Um. So yeah, and his Westwood freestyle was. I don't even know how to describe. It's it like a rite of passage for me. And my <laughs> of course, man. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It really is. Literally, literally, literally. That is. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think I think that is probably one of the main unifiers amongst all like young Black Londoners, Black Brits. Not Chipmunk, well maybe Chipmunk, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean Grime as a whole. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, that that to me it had to be in the series. Like it just it just had to be uh, for that reason. Yeah. And is is it... and the author Franklin is superb. Like he's the perfect person to write that book. Oh Frank! Um, oh so, yeah. Franklin Adel, yeah, he's he's a sick guy. Yeah. Man. I met him a few times. Like he's he he's he's actually a very like gifted uh, uh, MC himself as well. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, many reasons why he's the person to write the book. Yeah. Um, cool. And then I mean, it touches on so many other things. But one thing that I thought that was interesting as well was the the fashion element as well. Um, and I say that because yeah. I think there's definitely like a unique way that, um, particularly I think at the time. Um, when grime was still like like when I think about grime yeah I think about what, academic tracksuits yeah lot 29 Averix like Averix all yeah, these yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I was going to say Ivisu but that's a bit Ivisu machine or that's a bit before yeah that was like 2002 era so yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd include Ivisu and, and, and for those that couldn't afford Ivisu they had like the, the knockoff Voyages oh yeah Voyages oh, Voyages <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Hey, Wolfenstein Market, yeah. Boy, Jesus, the pop off, fam. Yeah, boy. Do you know what I mean? So everyone, and like, even what you just said now about like going, we had like the markets that had the, like, depending where you're in London, obviously yeah. in South, we had like um, Nine Elms, there's Tooting Market, there's Elephant and Castle, there's like all these different markets. Went, and went, Hackney Wembley Market. Market was huge. Wembley Market was a, yeah, of course, man. <laughs> I got my um my academics from places, Wood Green. Man. There's one shop in Wood Green. I can't remember what it's called now, but yeah. That's what I feel like. Wood Green hasn't moved on from that era, though. Like it's like if you go there, it's the same. Like, like they still got the same JD sign from like two thousand and three. Like, yeah, it's like going back in the, in a time machine. But anyway, anyway. Hey, what 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 about um shoes for school? Because when I was growing up, it was kick um kickers. That was like the. That was what we were wearing. That like, I don't know if it was just like where I was in East. That was yeah, what kickers. everyone was wearing. Just kickers, kickers boots and the, the laces, not the laces and the stitching. You could get any color you wanted, kind of oh, thing. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. That was yeah, kind of the, yeah, I thought that, that, that was for the ballers, man. For me, <laughs> I was going shoes. Like, I had the, I had like a, you, you can get a decent clocks, yeah. <laughs> the decent clocks, yeah. Uh, uh, you could get back in the day as well, but yeah, like there's 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 definitely like a look that goes with yeah. the thing, right? And is is an interesting one because um, I think we've re- well from my perspective anyway I think we've exported some fashion stuff as well because some of the stuff we're talking about here yeah, some of these brands are like American brands from my understanding anyway but there it was I feel like there was a distinction between how we'd wear stuff mm. and like there's a dip, there's a certain flavor I don't know that no, I think generally that we had like generally even even like even even like in even in a business sense right. There is a distinct difference between the way people 
on this side of the pond dress versus the way Americans dress. So for example, in Europe, we like our clothes to be a little bit more tighter fitting and actually, you know, we go to the, if you get a suit, it's going to be properly tailored. Chances are, if you get a shirt, it might have your initials on it. In the US, it's just straight off the rack. And, you know, it's like, uh, it will fit kind of loosely. It's the same thing, even when, even when people buy a car, like for example, if you want to buy a car, it's well known that in Europe, you're going to spend time to say, listen, I'm investing in this car. I want this kind of spec. I want that kind of spec. In America, yo, is it on the lot? Let me just take it off. That's their, their culture's a lot faster when it comes to fashion. Yeah. So it's just like, yo, what? Because I remember like, what, Michigan jackets. You remember that, like them you see in hip hop videos and stuff, yeah, like those yeah. massive puffy jackets and stuff. Mm. And let's say we don't do it, but it's like, I could still make a North Face look better and whatever. And, <laughs> and another example is, um, sometimes I used to see it, like, you know, when you see like the babes wear the massive, the high heel boots with with some, with uh, track suits or something. I'm like, this is not a way to dress. <laughs> not insulting them, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? No, but you see what I'm saying? Like, cause we all say like Americans, they just cannot, it's not that they can't dress, but That's, for yeah. them, sometimes it's more about the, it's more about the, the label and therefore I'm gonna put something together. Whereas at least, come on, we have a good fashion sense. You know, I'm telling you, even so, back to- I mean, I mean yeah, sort of, but also mid 2000s fashion was scary. I'm not gonna lie. like. Even like, oh no, I was across the board. It's not saying we didn't go through whack phases, but I'm just saying it's 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 different. And even like when I think about like the garage era, which kind of I guess precluded all of us. Man, they used to dress fancy. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm. that was that that was the thing. They would all properly dress up, like you know, men and women just dressing up, just to just to go for a night a night out, just Mm. you know, putting on like Sunday best. Do you know what I'm saying? So anyway, I'll I'll leave it there because I'm not trying to. Not trying to catch any stray bullets, but you know. So. You're going to cause a lot of diaspora beef. But it's true, like, there's there's definitely a lot of conversations with, with like, um, around, like, fashion and the distinction. I feel like yeah. between, like, American, like, black American fashion, like, how I feel, I feel there's a general kind of, like, uh, acceptance that black Brits are kind of, like, trendsetters in a lot of, like, in the fashion space mm. a little bit. Um, and, yeah, I was just wondering, how was, how was that kind of explored in this, in, in, in these works? Like just the idea of fashion yeah. and like black British. Yeah. So interestingly, um, we have a book in the series on bamboo earrings. Um, and that may on the face of it seem like a strange thing to, to have a book on. But when we sort of inspect, like when you're talking about sort of the grime era and how guys are dressing, when you inspect second, my secondary school era, at least, mm-hmm. and continually today, actually, in fact, they've had a resurgence. One of the main things amongst slicking your hair, putting mm. diamonds in your hair and side pouches and just do it bags mm. were these massive like knocker earrings that predominantly like black girls would be wearing. And the huge story around that in the same way that someone mentioned earlier how barbershops were like this central point for black guys, for young black girls in secondary school are like a big main spot for us as black hair shops. Mm. Like it was just... It was just, a mo- I don't even know what, it was a motive to just go into packs or to go into mm, any black or hair shop. Sword, I just, yeah. yeah, literally, and just pick up hair products or not pick up hair products and just wander around for no reason. But you would always go to the front where they'd have their one to two pound knocker earrings mm. and they would rust in about two weeks, but you would return <laughs> and you would get new ones. And that was just the way. And it was like such a, a very subtle but significant point of like, just that image of that time. Mm. And then now when we look today, how we've seen how that's been sort of appropriated and now they're sold at for 20 pound and urban outfitters and mm. everyone's wearing them. And it's just really interesting because it was seen as like, 
you know, it was it wasn't seen as the most fashionable or attractive for certain groups then. But now it's sort of once again, like like many things of like British heritage, it's expanded, you know, and it's been overpriced and you know it's worn on catwalks now. Um, mm. But just like exploring that route of that just that massive journey and the confidence it would give to girls and that literally that black hair shop journey to acquire on those earrings was like a, a rite of passage for so many young black girls. Mm. Um, and so we look at that. Um, and then of course, looking at how that culture of earring wearing goes way, way back to outside the diaspora once again, to the Caribbean and Africa, and just looking at that importance and why that was the case. Um, so yeah, that, that, was, that was the fashion element in that as well. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting like, how much like, stuff i think even sometimes maybe subconsciously we're, we're carrying from like our own um i think patrick he's touched on this already but like how there is this um the unifying factor might not be the 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 fact that we're all here at the same time and in, in kind of like same kind of environment and geography but like that the the kind of roots of our own respective heritages have some unifying um similarities which just kind of play out in in our generation as well which is like i find really interesting um another big one hair yes let's let's let's, <laughs> let's, let's chat let's chat about hair <laughs> yes oh that thing yeah um so we also have a book written by zainab on the black girl afro um that's obviously a subject that i think as of recently has been discussed and divulged and dissected a lot and even before recently but this one is specifically through like a, a, a black british lens um and it sort of once again looks at the natural hair movement in the uk mm. um and when that happened and why that happens um and then it explores like the different means by which black girls started embracing their natural hair um within the uk specifically mm. um and it looks at how that intersected with the rise of social media and blogging culture. Um, and it's just a really interesting look at, once again, relationship to hair through sort of once you enter school in a British system mm. and sort of when you come out of it. Um, and Zainab herself has an amazing Afro. And so a lot of it's very anecdotal also. Um, and she speaks about her own journey and she now works in a very corporate environment. So it's explored from loads of different aspects. And of course the black hair shop is another major feature as well of mm. that book as it is with bamboo earrings. Um, and that's generally the case with the series. There's so many intersections because the sort of characteristics of many of the topics meet with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, one one thing nice I find funny well. about the um, the hair thing as well, because obviously that's, I think that's a conversation mm. that's typically, um, I think within the remit of like, um, like black women, that's kind of like a, a, a big topic that comes on. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, politics yeah. of it as well and everything. And like, Definitely. it's interesting. I think more, not obviously not to the same extent, but I think more men are kind of talking about like, their hair, yeah. natural hair yeah, journeys yeah. and that kind of thing and like, <laughs> trying to grow out their hair and, and what have you. And I found that like really, um, yeah, really quite interesting to to see. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's, 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 that's a side kind of, kind of a side thing. But, yeah, for um, sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And then I think there's there's a political angle as well because obviously we talk, I think there's a lot of things around the um, kind of like cultural um um talk about the music etc but then there's and i think this is like a really big like a really important point around um the lack of black british history exploration within like the the curriculum in in the uk yeah yeah, Um, for sure for sure and 
that is another thing where I feel like, you know, we've, well, maybe the education system in general, like, because um, maybe African-American culture has become so synonymous with black culture, when we talk about, for instance, even Black History Month, and we've covered these different topics, it tends to be kind of the same recycled stuff around, um, you know, the civil rights movement, etc. Yeah. And not knowing, a lot of us not knowing that we've had, like, very kind of, um, you know, strong movements within the UK as well that haven't been explored in, uh, as much. And yeah, it would be cool to kind of talk a little bit about that. Like, um, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, so we have a quick thing on the Black British Power Movement as well. That's written by Shante, who is also another person who's perfect for that topic. Um, and it looks at the term Black British Power in a very expansive way. So it looks at how that intersects with politics, culture, music, and how many of those things, art as well, has been used to propel black British people within sort of an oppressive country, essentially. Um, and as much as it is historical, it's also contemporary. Mm. Uh, so one of the, another thing actually that all of the books will look at um, in depth uh, was the impact of George Floyd's death and COVID. Um, mm. And how, because one thing that was really interesting and at the time was quite overwhelming, but now um, it provided for much depth in all of the books was that these books were being carved out and written during these really like challenging times for sort of black people as a whole in this country. And that was George Floyd and COVID. Um, and so obviously within the black British movement, we had the resurgence again of the BLM movement. And, and looking at how that manifested, why it manifested, the, the impact it had this time round versus say another time round, and how sort of the impact of COVID intersecting with that caused it literally to explode. Like that period was a lot, um, it was a lot, a lot. Um, and that is something that has impact, impacted the direction of actually of every single book, mm. um, because it changed so much about the subject areas. And that's actually another thing, another well, downside and good sides of writing contemporary books is that whenever things change so dramatically, we'd have to go back to the drawing boards and like re recalibrate. And especially with Afrobeats, it literally got to the point where like, okay, we just have to stop because this genre is going to keep developing and changing every day. <laughs> so at some point, we just got to allow it. And then Made in Lagos came out. So we're like, okay, we can't allow it. We've got to, <laughs> we've got to go back. Um, and so, and that was certainly the case with um, the Black British Power Movement. So much happened in that period surrounding, mm. you know, the idea of black power, but black British power specifically, whether it was in Bristol, in Liverpool, in Manchester, in London, there were so many like pivotal moments to explore in what it means to be a contemporary activist today as a mm. black British person yeah. versus what it was back then. And, and looking at contemporary activism and the role social media plays in that and the impact that that has uh, in tangible ways, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really expansive, expansive book in a, in a really great way. Mm. I was going to say, because that, that raised a point to me, which was like, and I think it's something that we, um, as a podcast and that, um, some of the opportunities that have arisen and some of the like guests mm. you've had and everything, like I feel personally that like, there's obviously a lot more um, black voices that are being heard, like, over yeah. the last maybe I don't know five six whatever years um com compared to any time prior and how that's been really like amplified and and I think the barriers to entry are a lot lower there's a lot more of a, a lot more of a DIY um nature to it but also I feel like the kind of mainstream outlets and stuff are also beginning to kind of like embrace it a little bit more um and yeah and like 
I guess from someone that's been in 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 worked in the kind of publishing industry um, mm. as a career, like what do you think have been the main things that have kind of brought about that that change? Um, I remember we had a conversation before um, the guys and I can't maybe one of our guests a while ago, um, but this kind of fear that is this just like a moment? Like is this a thing mm. where this is like a trend that's hot for now? People care about you know I don't know black voices or you know the, the people care about what you want to hear and then it's going to kind of die out and something else is going to replace it um it'll be interesting just to hear your general thoughts about that the, the kind of current environment for black voices black stories um us documenting our histories and our our experiences and everything yeah so i think within the publishing industry it's actually just generally been very trash. It's, it's a very unserious industry that just literally does not show enough respect and understanding for like stories that are not of the norm. And their norm obviously is sort of middle-class whiteness. Mm. Um, and t- to be honest, because I was actually quite ignorant to the industry, I didn't, I was a writer first. So I was just writing and then I sort of accidentally fell into publishing. So I didn't really have any expectations of the industry. And then when I entered, it was actually a culture shock, which is now in hindsight, how could it have possibly been a culture shock? How did you not know better? <laughs> but I was like, this is in London, like I don't understand. Um, and there are many like barriers to entry and there are amazing individuals who, who work within the industry, but as a whole, structurally, it's uh, a lot to be desired. Um, and what that means then is when things like BLM will happen, you have sort of a very reactive reaction to it. Mm-hmm. So it would be very instant. Like, oh, okay, this is now financially viable, which is the the root of everything is having to prove its financial viability. Mm. Um, and I know that there's a massive market for black stories because there's just loads of people who it, like. I, when you're from a community, you're very well aware of that. Mm. But when the you know the, the structures that be are not, you're constantly having to sort of justify and try and explain that there is this thing that they cannot see because they are not of it. So that's the the constant friction within the industry. And then there's this thing of comparative titles where to have a book, you have to have something to compare it to, for, to prove that it's viable, which doesn't make sense, especially for like minority communities. And it doesn't make sense for stories because the stories that I'm most interested in are often the ones I've never heard of. Like, a, it's not the same old, same old, same old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and... So yeah, so it's it's got better, sure, but in my opinion, there's there's a lot there's a lot to be desired, um, and that, and that was also you know a major impetus of creating the series because when I'm old and grey, in theory, there's no reason why I can't continue. You know, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. sort of about a singular person or a singular group; it just can sort of continue. And I think it's important that people like support those kind of things that is it sort of has longevity beyond you, mm-hmm. um, so that. It's, it prevents it from just being a reactive thing or a mm. thing of the moment or a temporary thing that goes and then fades and then just have like a another generation where there's not like much black writing happening. Now we're actually luckily in a generation where that is actually the thing of the moment. Mm. But the idea is to make that long term and to not have sort of tokens or, you know, and also importantly, allowing black people to write about what they want. Mm. You know, mm. like it's, it's one thing commissioning a black writer, but if a black person wants to write about yoga, they should be able to write about yoga. They don't have to just write about issues pertaining to blackness. And I think giving black people the freedom to talk about whatever story they decide is also part of part of that journey that that 
not hasn't necessarily been fully touched on yet at the moment it's a lot of black writing on black issues which is fantastic but the opportunity has to be given for black people to write about anything and everything also you know um so yeah that's sort of my thoughts on the relationship that publishing has with black yeah. voices if that makes sense um Max, I was just going to ask, because um, you mentioned before how um, when, when you spoke about theatre and how theatre has been a part of the black community, even though it's not traditionally considered to be, like mm. we, we're always performing, uh, yeah. whether it's amongst ourselves, regardless of the environment. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that speaks to like our kind of like history of um, kind of, our relationship with art and and storytelling um it's, it's it, it it was something that took place not in the kind of confines of how um western society understands how those exactly. those art forms should be shared so i was just wondering with that in mind um what do you see for like the future of of storytelling black storytelling in this country especially like with um the way that of course, like representation is, is kind of increasing uh, within the industry slowly, but, but surely, I suppose. But also kind of developments in, I guess, technology as well, like yeah. TikTok, social media, whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. but also how there's kind of, I'm seeing like a kind of blending between um, like literature and, and, and music. So like um, yeah. you had Caleb Femi. Um, yeah. Um, what show was it again? I can't remember, but he was... Um, he, he performed the other day. Um, Storm is obviously with like uh, murky books and everything. Like there is this kind yeah. of like blending that's going, going on and people yeah. looking in would say, oh, this is new, but actually that's not new at all. Like storytelling has always been a part of our art and our form of expression. So yeah, yeah. what do you kind of like see with regards to like the, the, the future of storytelling um, for, for our community here? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's going to be expansive because the way in which generally the black British community's identity has morphed has been expansive. Mm. And I think that's in part because of how diverse like blackness is in the UK with like migrants coming from all over. Mm. Um, and when like creatively I think of an idea, I don't ever think of it in a static form. So to mm. me, like the book series is not just the book series. Yeah, It's like much more and it could be done in any format. Mm. Um, and I actually remember we had a book launch. Oh God, was it two years ago? COVID and I don't remember but it was like we had a launch before the world shut down yeah Yeah. and um it was it was a a technically a book launch right and it was in central London and we had a DJ and we had Caribbean foods and we had uh it was sponsored by Hennessy and this Chris company and it was just a party basically Mm. and I remember a lot of industry people were just coming up to me like I've never ever been to a book launch like this in my life this is just not a book launch like people like people were dancing it became a rave it was basically a rave thank you yeah and everyone was like this is I don't understand like I've just never seen a book event like this before and to me I was like but this is just what people do like this yeah. is just the norm you know this is how we and celebrate I, guys <laughs> literally like there's gonna be good food there's gonna be good right. drink there's gonna be good music and we're still gonna have the panel on the books but then mm. we're gonna enjoy and celebrate but that's mm. that to certain groups is a very alien sort of idea mm. um and I remember actually there was a queue to it and people thought it was a club night and I was <laughs> like this is just this is the norm so yeah. I think that's always been the case and I don't think that will ever stop and Mm. you see it with how sort of black storytellers utilize social media as well Mm. um so in that sense I think so long as you know technology goes in the way at which the way it's going 
I think black storytelling will just even become more creative mm. um, because it has been without it, to be fair. But I think it's definitely given people a platform to be even more expansive with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's so true. Like, I remember I went to um, an art exhibition like years ago now. But yeah, again, that turned into like a proper like, you know, skin out. Like yeah. we're going to have a party at the, at the end of it. And you just kind of contrast that with like the very kind of like, wine and cheese kind of version of, of, of art exhibitions yeah. you know and it's like yeah okay yeah I, you know I do like my red wine and I do like a bit of cheese but I also like to you know yeah have yeah. A, a proper good time so and yeah. that's also seen in like you, I think it was you that mentioned Barbershop Chronicles like that was another oh no maybe it was Tom it's, but that uh, was another one like that theatre experience mm, was such a yeah. an interactive yes, theatre yeah. experience yeah that's yeah. not typical of you know your quote unquote whatever people deem typical theatre to be yeah yeah, um, yeah so I think that's just innate within uh, black expression a lot of the time mm. yeah. do you think that there's going to be um, a growth so for instance your um you're um, publishing the the book series through Jacaranda Books, I believe, and yes, that's like a, yeah. a, a black owned um, publisher, yeah. right? So, do you yeah. think there's there's going to be like a, a growth in, you know, I guess yeah, black owned publishers and kind of independent publishers, um, uh, maybe yeah. away from some of the the larger, more established. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely do. I definitely there has been like in the last few years. Uh, a, a large amount actually and I definitely do because I think it's because I can tell you for example when I had this series idea I pitched it to loads of different places and the reaction I got in the first round of pitches was that it was just a little bit too black <laughs> from like <laughs> and then counter to maybe two years later I was contacted again by them I was like can we can we sort of re-do re- this now mm. and it's like it's, it's too late so I think there's that that's another thing is that the large institutions often miss the mark a lot for the reasons obviously I discussed. Um, and so there there becomes a need for these other spaces that sort of get it or are just more willing to bet on an idea that hasn't been done before. Yeah. Um, and that generally is the case in the publishing industry often, and to be fair, in many creative industries, often sort of smaller places will come up with an idea. And then when sort of the institutional elements of that play, uh, industry sort of see that it works, they sort of... Are willing to sort of yeah do the same thing, um, so yeah yeah I do think there'll be a rise to answer your question. Mags, I I, I want to ask you as a you know from like your standpoint as a, a curator if you will, um, when mm-hmm. you think about you know if God permits like our children, what rites of passage do you think that you had and we had that they will also have? What rights? In what sense? Just like in terms of like. The way, like you mentioned, like for example, like going to the the hair shop or mm, listening to oh, Brian, that kind yeah. of just like cultural moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That will probably be shared down generations. Yeah, I think a lot a lot of it will be different. Just because when I see like my younger cousins now, a lot's different. I definitely remember like being outside a lot more. So I don't I don't know if any of my younger cousins for example have really been to a black hair shop like that like I just I feel like I just order it online so I think in that sense a lot a lot will change actually I just feel like our generation was a more outside outside generation versus that of now mm. Mm. um but I think what won't change actually in terms of the rites of passage is the manner in which 
we're creative via storytelling. The means might be different, I think. Um, I think this generation is far more like social media savvy. I was very late to all the social media apps in comparison to like my little cousins, for example. Mm. I think that's the thing actually that, that won't change, like the creativity mm. that you mm. see on these social media apps. So we still had when we were in playgrounds or outside. Um, I just think maybe the platform of which is explored will change, um, if that answers your question. Perfectly, thank you. Great. Um, I think we're starting to kind of uh, get to the kind of time we begin to to wrap up. Um, we usually have, uh, unless anyone wants to, to jump in, but like we usually have, uh, and this is usually Tom that, that initiates this, but uh, we like to ask our top five. I have a question before this, though. Yeah. Just a question that's come to my head. Okay, Just a question. On. That's good. Take away, so, Tom, yeah. No, because I've been thinking about this and it's been like ruminating like for the whole conversation about um, Afrobeats, right? And... <laughs> Uh, someone said to me, there was someone said to me a quote, or just like they came up with, I now say it's a quote, but they came up with something and they said, basically growing up in school, I'm guessing you're kind of around the same age as us, kind of closer mm-hmm. towards 30 than, than not, but like, um, <laughs> growing up in school, it wasn't cool to be African. Yeah. But mm. somehow with like a, somehow with like the surge of Afrobeats, it yep. eventually became cool. 100%. 100%. And so, yeah, I just was going to ask, do you think that's true? Because I've been thinking about it for such a long time. Yeah. Like, mm, kind of, yeah. So, yeah, just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. So that's, um, so Christian Adolfo is the writer. So he's of uh, Ghanaian heritage and he explores that in depth, actually. And that is actually, um, that has quite a large role in the book, actually, in terms of sort of, it, it looks at the time when it wasn't cool to be African, where, you know, there was a time where Africans themselves or children of African migrants were not always proud to be African because of how mm. they were made to feel, whether that be their name or their food, and how Afrobeats made it cool to be African on, on a global stage, not just in, in, in the UK. Mm. And that is that is definitely the case. And then, um, and that's actually explored, and I don't want to give too much away, but that's actually explored uh, in quite a large, a large way. Um, yeah, we sort of, yeah, we used to, you know, we've, I think we've probably sort of all heard the stories of mispronunciations of names on the school register mm-hmm. and how that would make individuals cower in embarrassment, you know, mm-hmm. and how that's now just completely changed. Um, mm-hmm. And how like West African cuisine in particular now has risen as a result. West African culture mm-hmm. is seen as something to be proud of, you know, and is seen as celebratory. Um, and how actually Afrobeats has contributed to, in many ways, deconstructing what Africa even is. Like we know of the common stereotypes of the continent and how for the first time this sort of umbrella genre, if you will, umbrella sonic or cultural phenomenon has come along and the associations of Africanness is now very different to mm. that of say war, mm. famine, etc. etc. Mm. Very yeah. true. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. so so yeah definitely you definitely hit okay. the mark on the head mm. uh, but, with that. But then has that come at the expense of like is it a zero sum game in a sense that mm. like it's now not as cool to be a Caribbean, say, as it was to be Africa. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Has the, has the situation flipped upside its head? Patrick, I don't, like, you're obviously probably more well-versed to think about this <laughs> than I am, but, yeah. like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think so at all, to be honest. I think, you know, everybody can eat, you know? Like, the table's big enough for all. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, I don't care what anybody says, like, West Indians will always be cool. Like, it's not, and, and it's not like to say that <laughs> there's no competition. So we're, I, I mean, me personally, I'm happy to see that, you know, like my brothers and sisters on the other side of the Atlantic, they get in their time to shine because that's where the root mm. of everything is from anyway. So, um, 
But no, I don't. I don't think. Um, it, I don't think it is a zero sum game. Um, I think we're actually better for it. Like, yeah, we're. Yeah. I think mm. we're we're stronger as 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 a unified community now. Um, and you know, like a lot of the the influences of Afrobeats, like I'm seeing a lot a lot of crossover between like the islands. 100%. And 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 Africa, and that's it's beautiful to see, man. Some banging music is like really like beautiful art is being created, and I think, yeah, like as 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 a West Indian, like I'm, I can only speak for myself, but I'm just like I'm I'm happy to see it, and mm-hmm. yeah, long mm-hmm. may it flourish. Because honestly, like not to get all political and blah blah blah, but the colonizer wants to see us divided, and mm-hmm. it's it's I don't think it's a coincidence now that Black British culture is so um what's the word um it's 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 so infectious and it's spreading throughout the world um so much now because of the way that we've i feel like the other half of the the circle has been been added now do you know mm-hmm. what i mean and mm-hmm. and like i said we're we're stronger for it so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's I my th- take on it i th- i think i've i've been lucky enough to kind of grow up in a in a, in an era and a, and a place probably where i saw um, those kind of two things coexisting quite well and like in a, in a quite natural organic way in, in mm. which like I had um, like West Indian friends and what have you uh, or just in my in my area where they say like Chale like Ghanaian says Chale like, yeah, like my yeah. friend or my bro or whatever <laughs> yeah. like I'll Good see luck, I'll, literally like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamaicans whatever whatever saying Chale and at the same yeah. time you'll, ha- you'll have West Indians using certain Yoruba words and then yeah. you have everyone using certain Somali words these days and like mm. every like there's certain especially when it comes to like slang and yeah. like language whatever you like we definitely borrow from like loads of of, of different like um, yeah. cultures and, yeah. and I, I do feel like like particularly Jamaican um um, we borrow heavily from like Jamaican culture yeah, and that feels like the root to be honest do you know what I mean 100% that and that, that, can't, that can't be denied like yeah, but, that, but that, that as, cannot be denied at all, I don't think. As as a linguist as well, one thing I really enjoy is seeing like how, like you mentioned, the other um sort of words and expressions um being added into our into our everyday lexicon. Like I won't like sometimes it's a bit jarring when I see people that, you know, aren't in the community like using certain I don't know, like um like I feel like a lot of Nigerian sentence structure has now become almost part of London slang. Um, so mm. like people said, it's not every day and blah blah blah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Um, <laughs> I I would like like I I I do that all the time. But it's 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 funny. Like it's a thing to celebrate, but also it's it's funny when I see people outside of the Black diaspora, like you know, like people watching Love Island and blah blah blah, <laughs> using these kind of yeah. Um, but it is nice to see like how rich. Um, I mean, what do we call it? Um, multicultural London English has become like um, our our reference. Because the thing for me about language, um, I always go back to this play that um, that I read when I was younger called um, Translations by uh, an Irish writer called Brian Frill. And one of the lines in it is that um, a language maps a culture. And that's what I love about how how rich our language is in especially like in in London and I guess within like the the black diaspora in the UK because it draws upon all of our different um cultures and experiences and what we have is something that's like extremely rich and extremely deep and 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 beautiful so yeah I I, I love that and I and like I said long may it continue long may it flourish and 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 grow 
Um, I, I had one more question. I know I, I chat a lot, man. Um, the guys call me chatty patty and it annoys me, but to be honest, I can't even, I can't even argue with them. Um, but um, yeah, I just had one question. So I know we spoke about um, sort of like the future of storytelling and, and how we kind of do storytelling uh, in a more, um, I guess, comprehensive way. Like we don't just use the written medium. Um, but um, obviously this this anthology is is in book form. So I just wanted to ask like, why do you feel that black culture is important enough? Like, obviously we know, but for our listeners, why do you feel it's important enough to be distilled into an, into book form? And and is the target audience um, kind of, is it us or is it like beyond our community? Um, and do you feel like our community is like a large enough market now to, to, mm. to, to target? Yeah, so I think, um, it's a good question. Okay, so the, okay, I'll answer the first part. So in terms of why I think it's enough, I think when we're sort of speaking about uh, the fluid term that is black Britishness, mm. um, the contribution that black Britain has made to Britain, it can never be quantified. Mm. Like it's unquantifiable. Mm. Um, and so there can never be enough archival forms of that history mm. um, produced. So that's, that's, that's one. And then for the second part of your question, which was, wait, could you say that again, actually? That just... um, so um, do you think that we are now like a large yes. enough market to... Yeah. Yeah. And so and I think that's a slightly reductive way to look at it, because mm-hmm. I think when you see the influence of blackness within the UK and internationally... Mm everyone wants a piece everyone mm. has been wanting a piece mm. and so this book series is most certainly for us and by us without mm. a shadow of a doubt mm-hmm. but there is no doubt that in the same way that everyone wants a piece and wants to understand what this thing is mm. that will continue uh with with this series also yeah um yeah. so yeah i think i think that's 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 it yeah and and do you know what the thing that i love about it as well uh, you touched on this earlier um about black people being allowed to tell their story right because yeah, like you said, everybody wants a piece, um, but very often it's through a kind of diluted kind of industry, you know, record label publishers version of what blackness is. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But like, it's our time now to to tell it as it is from our own lips, not from what somebody thinks blackness is like. You know, de- de- definitely, definitely, yeah. and that was that was definitely. That came up actually when I was coming up with the name of the series. Mm, like okay. I kept trying to think of like a good name for the series and this, this idea of like bite-sized versions of information. Mm, mm. And everything I kept thinking of was dry. Like it was just, <laughs> just dry. I was just like, I just was moving with such a typical publisher's hat and they just were dead. Yeah. And then it was only when like this idea came to me and I took it to my little cousins and they're like, oh my God, I get it. Because it's going to mm. be literally like quitting on these subjects. That's it. And I was like, yeah. you know what? If my little cousins like it, then that's that's the one. And like even that. that, it speaks authentically mm. to like the Black British community. Yeah. As yeah, opposed yeah, to yeah. saying the history of or whatever yeah. else yeah, it could have yeah, been, yeah, you know. 100%. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, for sure, for sure. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the name as well, man. I think. And, 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 and just the concept of like something that can continue like Definitely. on and on. That like, can always be new topics as our culture like grows and everything there's always more things to, to add to it so I, I love yeah. that whole concept I was I was gonna ask like even now do you mm. have any more topics that you wish to kind of put because you said everything is like evolving and dynamic yeah, so yeah, yeah. even yeah. now it's kind of nearly June but do you have like some more topics that you want to put on or oh definitely so some of them I can't say because they're like in the works okay um I can say maybe one actually so um one for example is on Notting Hill Carnival 
which I think yep. cannot deserve enough books. Um, mm. Another one that I really want to do is on the Durag. Um, mm. Like I just think that yeah, course, <laughs> there you yeah. go. You see, look at that. That was yeah. I think the first time all of you were like, yeah. He's on swim, so they wait on him. Exactly. Um, definitely, you know, barber shops like Black British barber shops, and that, that's yeah. the thing. Like, there's literally no anyone can do it, and there's just there's no limit to what you can explore. Nothing is too small or too dumb for the mm. series because you can mm. dissect it as long as it's had an influence or has some cultural re- reverence within the community it, it's viable you know and fits in the series mm. 100% sick no thank you um, Max it's been amazing um, no, I'm kind of learning more about your journey your career the the book series just discussing our own experiences within like uh, being black and British and what have you and, 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 and those things is there's elements of nostalgia that's always like nice to, to tap yeah. into but then also like the fact that this is ongoing and something that's continuously growing like mm. and being documented like you're doing a really important job I think so we appreciate you for, for what you're doing yeah man thank um, you very much before we wrap up uh, Tom I'll let you do the honours man with the, with the you know your top fives and what have you yeah Me? man okay yeah bro it's, I don't know why it's become I, I just like asking people this question just just like yeah top five dead or alive go top five are you asking me yeah, yeah. top five dead or alive what rappers it, like Ooh. it doesn't. No, no. We won't. We won't. We won't limit it. We won't. We can limit broaden. It. We can broaden. <laughs> yeah. We can broaden up. It's to, broad. To, to it's to broad. Up, it's, a mu- it's a broad mu- spectrum. Musical artists. Yeah. yeah. Musical yeah. artists. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Fair enough. The, the fact that my head went to reference. Okay. Um, number one, Michael Jackson. Okay. Without, without okay. shadow okay. of a doubt, I'm yeah. a Michael Jackson. Prince is better, baby. but we move. We move. Boy, we move. Tom, we're not doing this today. I'm sorry, 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 times. sorry, sorry. Tom, we can take this off of this podcast. <laughs> we're we're going to do that, you know. We're going to do that. Man. <laughs> many times. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Michael Jackson. Number two, uh, is, does it have to be in order? Because number one's no, Michael no, no, Jackson. No, 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 any, 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 any order. Because okay, okay. that's too hard. Okay, cool. So number one, Michael Jackson. Number two, for a certain amount of albums, not all, certain amount, Nas. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. Can't yep. that. Thank you. Number three, number three would have to be Queen, as in the band Queen. Mm, okay. okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Number four, hmm, number four, number four. See, this changes. It kind of depends on the day. But today, because mm. I woke up and I played mm. them, also, for a certain number of albums, I'll say a tribal quest for a certain okay. amount. Okay. Yeah. A certain yes. amount. Okay. Heritage. Heritage. And then <laughs> number five. Wait, am I what? I said, I'm not number yeah. four, innit? Yeah, am I number yeah, five? Yeah, yeah. yeah, number, yeah five, number five. Yeah. Number okay, five oh, now. damn. Okay, number five. You only got one left. Number five, I'll say Mulatu Astetka. He's an Ethiopian jazz artist. He's okay. sick. Ooh, I've heard of him, you know. Yeah, he's, he's, he's sick. Yeah, he's sick. Okay. Um, so that that would be my top five. I think that's solid. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That, I like multi genre, multi genre. <laughs> so love that. Queen threw me off a little bit. I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna do my research. On do, it. No, get into Mercury. Get into Queen. Honestly, yeah. that's phenomenal. Special, special. Amazing, sweet. All right, cool. Um, before we wrap up, then, uh, Max. Um, just for the sake of our audience, um, when are the books coming out? Um, and also, where can we find you on social media and etc.? Yeah, so the books are coming out 
October to November, the first batch are staggered through October to November, and then the next batch are coming out in January. So it's sort of a staggered release from October this year, Sweet. basically. And then I can be found on, I'm not really active properly, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter, and my at is mags underscore ab i think <laughs> i think so. i think um yeah so that yeah i think i'm the same on both but yeah that's cool, where i can cool. be found I'll, I'll put in description anyway in case <laughs> cool now thank you so much mags we really enjoyed speaking no thank you guys for having me all right uh listeners thank you for joining us today um yeah it's been an amazing conversation um when the books do come out make sure that you cop um online etc um if you want to chat to us uh, ask us any questions um as usual you can reach us on otb podcast uk um, on twitter and on instagram um, if you want to send us an email we'd love receiving emails haven't received any recently actually which is a bit sad but yeah reach out to us again um <laughs> otb podcast uk at gmail.com um enjoy the rest of your days Thank you very much.